everybody, what's going on this week? Welcome to the Special Sauce Podcast podcast. My name is Ben Hopkins. Um, it is a stunning Tuesday afternoon. Uh, usually I would be recording this many days beforehand, but some bad shit happened today. Um, I had an interview that I had planned to put out with my friend. Uh, I won't even announce who it is, but it uh, was uh, an amazing interview with lots of cool video and stuff like that. But uh, when my computer crashed last week, when I was putting out the music video for Dance, 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 uh, the file got corrupted. So I'm going to try to find a way to save it, but um, I've kind of just been throwing this episode together. Um, but that being said, I have an amazing person that I'm interviewing today. Um, her name's Angela Carlo. She's been a friend of mine for many years. She's a performer. Um, she is a makeup artist. She's actually done my makeup a lot. Um she did my makeup uh, for Out Magazine once. She did my makeup uh, for my most recent press photo. Um, if you look on Spotify, that little picture of me, she did that makeup. And yeah, she's amazing. She's a hilarious performer. And we talk about all kinds of different stuff, um, like music and Chicago and just all kinds of weird shit, man. I don't know. I know it's hard out here right now. I'm personally exhausted. Um, just this election being so close is really like wearing on me. And like, I feel like all I'm doing is reading political news all day and just like feeling anxious. Um, but yeah, I'm going to keep it short and sweet. I love you all. Um, here's my interview with Ange DiCarlo. Um, I'm not going to do a follow-up at the end of this interview. I'm just going to post this and have it at the end be the end. Um, but you know, uh, you can find me on every Tuesday on this podcast, um, now available over every all streaming platforms, which is pretty fucking cool. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all that good shit. Um, yeah, sorry this episode's a little fucking crazy, but you know what, man? Like that's life. I'm just tired. I'm tired. You know, fuck it. I'm tired. My record came out. Oh yeah, I guess I should talk about my life. My album came out. I held my breath for a really long time once. Came out, and it was my birthday, so I was having a lot of fun. I was crying a lot. You can also find that record on my Spotify page, too. Um, you know, if you don't already follow me on Instagram, follow me on my YouTube channel, which is something I'm very into these days. And uh, yeah, man, I don't know. I'm just spent as fuck. And I think that's something everyone can feel some commonality with. But enjoy this fucking amazing episode with Angela Carlo. Her cuckoo clock goes off a bunch of times. And yeah, I'll talk to you guys next week. Boy, here we go. Oh, way different background. This is a way different background. What's that art back there? Um, homemade, um, homemade Halloween cards. Oh, wow. They're very high production value. I love them. Ooh, you made that? No, somebody made it and sent it to me. Wow. Here's oh, a more commercial. Makes sense. Oh. You know, we're a black cat family. And I relate. There's a, there's a, you know, as someone who accidentally got a gray cat in the quarantine. What do you mean accidentally? Well, we didn't know he was a gray cat. We applied because there was, his brother was a black cat. We were, I was drunk and I was like, oh, well, duh, I want that. And then like, you know, uh, they showed up and they're like, here it is, kid. <laughs> and they gave it. Ah. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, there isn't really, like, a gray cat holiday. You know what I'm saying? Like, it feels like we should dedicate some kind of holiday to, like, gray cat merchandise so they have some representation, too, like Arbor Day. Um, my first cat was a gray cat. 
Yeah. Well, what was their name? So I'm a big, I'm a big fan of a gray cat. You gotta be. I mean, they're, you know, they have a sort of- They're still witchy. Yeah, definitely. I think they're for the more like alternative witch. (laughs) I don't know about that. Sorceress and all of us. Um, Listen, uh, I'm so happy to be talking to you on this stupid podcast of mine. Um, You got a haircut. I did. And I have a mustache right now. Kind of. Now you have like other hairs too, right? Yeah, that's true. But you know, it's just been a really insane week. I got a ring light, so now I look like I'm just blown out all the time. Oh wow! I know. I need something to blow me out. Blow me out. You, well, you thought you know. Wait, <laughs> got to ask you if that was your real hair. I know it is your real hair, but you're also keen to have a what do you call it? A fall or a? a, a They're all at Perfidia's. What's that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all a perfidious because um, I don't think I told you this yet, but I'm doing an ADD Cobweb Cabaret live stream show uh, a week from today. 27th? 20th? What's that? 27th. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. So I'm going to like be performing it in Club Coming with like two audience members and it's going to, and like people like buy a ticket and they go on and it's going to be live and we're going to do like a, a Halloween show. That's amazing. Well, so that we're doing a show. Doing a can't relate. <laughs> I did. I guess I've been doing shows on Instagram, but like I put a record out last week, and it was kind of just like oh, back. To I the- know. Congratulations, by the way. Very strange feeling. But listen, so we're gonna, and this is gonna be sort of like a retrospective tour through your life and all the things that you like. How do you feel about that? Ugh, I don't <laughs> know why we're talking about me? I know why. So listen, hold on. Um, I guess I usually start these episodes by saying how we met. I met you when I was just in Vivian Bond's sort of, uh, what's the proper term for it? Not assistant, but sort of like... um, Errand boy. Errand boy. I think errand boy is exactly the, like, I did a lot of laundry and like other things like that and like dealing with people's green rooms and things like that. But then, then I met you because you were DJing up at the spot um, upstate. and at the Spiegel tent. You and me and John Cameron Mitchell. And actually, I'm supposed to be talking to Stephen Trask in a couple of days, too. Wow. Yeah. I don't know Stephen that well. Oh, I've only known him on Instagram. Just for wow. He's hit me in the DMs. It's like, LOL, a bunch. So we're going to chat. <laughs> and it was me. John Cameron Mitchell, PJ yep. Du Bois, who started Mattachine. Yep. His boyfriend, Paul Dawson, and Amber Martin. And a whole lot of drama. <laughs> well, yeah. But the night before, they screened um, John's film. Um, Short Bus. Short Bus. <laughs> <laughs> wow no comment um yeah yeah no that was it was there was a lot of sex which, which pj and paul were in so they did like a screening and a whole q a afterwards yeah, it was like a whole whole moment and um that was the night the first night you ever read me to phil was that night because i didn't know oh. the song i didn't know the song private idaho by the b-52 <gasps> oh and you were like what <laughs> i was so mad right i think i even had the nerve to be like this is a good song who wrote listen it listen to me yeah, yeah right if i i was listening to that song when i was in high school yeah. in des moines iowa 
in the 80s, without any access to the interwebs, there was no interwebs back then. My best friend's older sister had had it and Wild Planet. Yeah. That's, and that, uh, that's, that's, that's how I knew it. Wild Planet? Huh? Is that the self-titled record or is that? No, Wild, Wild Planet, B-52's Wild Planet was the second one. It's the red one. And, you right. know, that's how you heard about cool music back then, you know, either, you know, your best friends, you know, cool older sister, or you heard about music from people because they sure as hell weren't playing the B-52s on the radio in Des Moines, that's Iowa in 1984, that's you know. True. I mean, it's funny to think like I heard that record and then I kind of came back to the early B-52s records as I was writing my record. Yeah. A song called IDK on my album, which is based on the, the first track on the self-titled B-52s record, which still sounds like a contemporary punk record like today. Yeah. It's just that good. And What's it's, the first song off that record? Planet uh, Claire? Who's, oh no, it's uh, Party Gone Out of Bounds, that one. Oh! <laughs> no, that's Wild Planet, whore. Wild Planet? Okay. God, get it right. Yeah, it was 10 years later. I still can't get it correct. But um, yeah, no, it's just so funny because that, yeah, do it. Is that what you do in Zoom calls now? You, you, you put your finger at people? <laughs> Don't do what Jeffrey Tubin was doing. <laughs> Did you hear about that? I don't know who that is. Oh, well, I feel really bad for him. Uh, obviously, welcome to the free wheel of conversation. That is my podcast. Um, but who he, is he? He's like the head political writer for The New Yorker, and he was on a Zoom call, and he was like, okay, bye, guys, and he didn't hang up properly, and he started, like, watching porn. <laughs> and so he started, like, jerking off, and, like, everyone saw. It's horrible. It's so bad. It's so, so bad. It's like, I feel so bad for him, but, like, he's super embarrassed about it, and he's, like, on leave and stuff. But poor guy. I think that's what happened. I hope that's what happened. But I, I mean, that's funny. Have you ever not mean, up on a Zoom call and like caused some drama? Because I have. <laughs> I really have. I mean, especially with all the D and D I'm playing these days. So hold on, back to the. Oh, you're such a nerd. You know, Kobe used to play D and D in the high school. I bet he would. I mean, that's why I wore my Kubi-inspired shirt today. It's very Kubi-inspired. It's very autumnal. I just don't know how he dresses like this. I feel like I'm a, I'm like a country ham. I'm just roasting. So hot. It's like a knitted sweater t-shirt. It turned into a nice day today. I know. Well, I, I came home after the guy got his balls cut off, and I've been asleep ever since, and I will do this right now. We had to put him in the car all the way up to the Upper East Side. But anyway, Andy, listen. And I had pastrami before noon which was just insane. Uh, but so hold on. So you're from Des Moines, Iowa, like the city yeah. of Des Moines. Yeah. And what was that like? Must It's cool there now. I, I like, I've, I've been there. Now. Well, no, or probably then had some cool stuff too. I don't know, but like. I, you played I, there, right? Yeah. There's lots of cool, like weird liberal people in every city in America. I think that's something that yeah. I don't realize. But like, there's some funky, you know, there's, there's a lot of vegan stuff out there now. I know oh. that's weird. I know that's not your scene or anything. Like it exists. I had a Mia rap out there and it was tasty. <laughs> so, hold on. So wait, what did your parents do? Like what was like what was going on back then? Um, okay, so I was raised by a single working mother. So there was oh, one parent. Right. <laughs> All right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
did your my mom dad do? was gone. Fuck him. Um, well, what did your mom do? My mom worked for, my mom had a couple of jobs. I'd say probably, so my mom and my dad were high school sweethearts and they went to separate boy-girl Catholic schools. <sighs> and my mom was the Irish American Catholic girl. Ah! And my dad was the Italian American oh. man. I mean, Italian man. Italian American. And um, so they were high school sweethearts and they went to the drive in one night and oh. my mom totally got knocked up with my bitch sister. Oh my God, really? No. And it caused a huge scandal. So this was 1966. Right. Um, it caused a huge scandal in both of the families. Of course, my mom's Irish family was mortified and the it Italian family was like thrilled. They didn't care. Abundanza. <laughs> and um, they ended up moving in with my grandparents. And my mom was like, I was gaining all this weight, all this weight because my grandmother's cooking was so good. Wait a minute. And I mean, it, it really, it really was. The Italians moved in? No, they moved in with my dad's parents. Oh, Jesus Christ. That's they insane. didn't have anywhere to go. Oh my and my dad was in, um, he was he was going to college, obviously my mom wasn't. And although she did do like a semester at like Mankato State or something like that, anyway. So- Mankato State. Right, fast forward to July, 1967. My mom has my bitch sister. And <laughs> they're trying to- People don't know you that are gonna be listening to me. I have a bitch sister. <laughs> The casualness, the just the abject casualness that you've always said it, and it's my odd, life. It's never changed. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, my fucking bitch sister. It's so funny. I really do have a bitch sister. I know. I've heard t different tales of years and years and years of this. Now it's like right. It's yeah. About I don't know, like Jumanji or something. It's just amazing. And I saw her two years ago, and she still hate me. <laughs> she made it clear. Ah, okay. So. And I was so nice to her. Hmm. I don't care. You have red hair. I don't care anymore. Wait, you know, it's like why I don't know why she cares. I don't know. I I I hate a lot of things, but I don't really hate a lot of people anymore. It's just so tired. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wait till you get to my age, you mellow out even more. I don't know if I'm gonna make it that far. I'm probably gonna get die in some kind of like um, you know, like the teacup ride at a road like at a at a museum park. I think that's how I'm gonna go. Does that <laughs> make sense? Like they'll crash into each other one time, like the one time and I'll die doing it. Okay. Okay, listen, that's just what <laughs> so, so anyway, so you, you were saying- so Yeah, so I was raised by a single working mother. She worked for Massey Ferguson, which is a company that's out long out of business now that made tractors. Oh. She worked in the, on, the, on the ads. She worked in the, oh, she worked on the ads. I thought you were gonna say she worked on the, like, the line, like assembling tractors. No. That would be sick. But uh, Des Moines was a great place to grow up. Um, you know, the public schools were really good and very diverse, actually. Really? That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, my high school was white, black, 
and Southeast Asian. Oh my God. There were a shit ton. That's cool. Of Laotians, Cambodians. Thing. And uh, Vietnamese, you know, boat people. Does that community still exist there? Like, in yeah. That's cool. You know, it's interesting. Like, there are all these cities in America. Like, I would never have fucking known that. Like, you know, like, it's like in Minneapolis. Like, there's this massive um, community of Somalian people out there. Yeah. It's, it's wild. And Iranians, too. I think. Yes. I think there's a lot of Persians. Football pizza. Have I ever told you this story? No. Oh, well, there's, a, there's a chain. So there's this Iranian flatbread. It's, like, super tasty, and it has, like, chutney and shit on it. And uh, they had this, there's this, this store out there that was like, just it had some random name and it was selling it. And all the people in Minneapolis were like, it looks like a football shaped pizza. So then they changed the name to football pizza and they franchised it. There's like a ton wow. of so Middle Eastern food to Midwestern people. But because they said it looks like a pizza, it's very, very popular. If you're ever in Minneapolis, go check it out. It's really, really I will smack down on that. That's fucking, it's very cheap too. So anyway, so you're, you're thriving out there in the Midwest, sort of. And when did you move to Chicago? When I went to college. Yeah. I and was you- like, I, you know, I don't know how I knew it, but I was just like, as soon as I get out of high school, Ain't I can never- go to college anywhere I want to go. Yeah. You know, I got to get the hell out. For sure. And Chicago was kind of like close enough, but yeah. far away enough. I didn't have the... I didn't have the, um, I don't have the guts to try and move to New York. No, and what year was that? 1988. Yeah, different kind of time for that. But my best friend Stanley did. Yeah. He went to Juilliard. Holy crap, really? That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I was going to apply to Juilliard for singing, but I, I chickened out. I never did. I ended up going to art school. I think that was a better choice for you, though. Right? Yeah. I mean, look at what you're wearing. I think that those stuffy Juilliard. Trying to pack an art school teacher. Art school teacher. <laughs> you know that Rufus Wainwright song about the art school teacher? Right. You know the Rufus Wainwright song about the art school teacher? It's really, really good. It's very homoerotic. <laughs> He's like... And then he showed me Rembrandt, and I was like, I like the idea of Rufus Wainwright, but I have to say I'm not really a fan. Really? I, um, he interviewed me once for, uh, for a magazine. I think it was Billboard, and he was super nice. I mean, I always loved yeah. him. He was such a Mary, and I went and saw him um, in London, and he has, obviously I met Martha at that point too, because I met Martha through Vivian um, and was a huge yeah. fan. I saw him perform and he does this thing called Gay Jesus where he like comes out in like a loincloth and like walks through the audience and it's like very high, like Xanadu sort of meth dream moment. It's really good. Yeah. I mean, listen, I love a blousey piano ballad as much as the next bitch. Um, <laughs> but so, so in college though, you went there to study what, art? Yes. Yeah, like fine arts, like painting and stuff? Yeah, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I was just getting the hell out of Iowa and going to art school. Sounds amazing. And what did you, back then, like, tell me at this point in the time, like, because what I, I mean, of the many people I know, like, your knowledge of music and records is just, like, unparalleled. (laughs) Between you and Greg, Greg, who I'm also going to be interviewing, like, that's why I think, when I put Good luck getting a word in edgewise. I I, I think he's already edging enough for the both of us. But, um, you know, I think, like, what were you listening to back then? Like, college times? Like, what were the records? Oh, my God. Well, you know, 
the thing, I don't know what it is. The thing about music is, is that I don't know. It's just, you know, it, did you hear Kubi sneeze? I did. And I liked it. I'm going to, I'm going to turn it up in the mix later. You know, all of a sudden I can turn the volume up now. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. We'll see how the audio quality is. I really don't care anymore. You know, I've decided, Angela, this year, it's after I put the record out, it's, Ben doesn't experience tw- stress anymore about art making. I've just decided I don't get stressed about it. Right? I don't care what happens. It's the just- record's so good. Well, you can see this new crazy thing I'm doing where I'm writing 100 songs in 100 days. <gasps> That's very ADD cabaret. Yeah, well, that, that was another thing I wanted to get. No, I'm on my third day of it. I've just decided I'm going to write 100 songs and put a record out. So I'll have another record out probably in February. That, that's very magnetic fields, right? Yeah, no, 69 love song. Mine is called 100 Days of Hurting My Own Feelings. Um, so, which is, yeah. Phoebe feel about it? She's part of it. Um, <laughs> wait a minute, but tell me I have to tell you about your record. Well, we'll listen, so, we'll, we'll, we'll listen to it oh, about shit later. Okay. Well, we can tell me now. Fine, tell me, I don't care. Oh, oh I was gonna tell you that um, my I have a new favorite song. Ooh. What is it? Well, I loved Running On Air. That was kind of my favorite song when like, I would see you performing it live in your apartment. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> but I love Shame is my favorite song. Oh, now. yeah. I love That's that one, so too. so good. You know what's funny? That one, um, I wrote it. And it's actually based on a lot of an old chord structure that's in two other Power Bottom songs. <gasps> we have a song called 1994. <laughs> oh, I'm, yeah. The same chords. Oh wow! The bridge is very different, and the the a lot of the math of it is different, but like the same uh, like harmonic harmonic structure is the same as that. Yeah, and a song called "Big Beautiful Day" on our last record. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. But no, I lo- I wrote that song on Thanksgiving um, after my dad and I got in a big fight. But it's not about him; it's right. about someone else I used to be friends with. But, right. but yeah, my hair is dry, drying very. Uh, sort of fluffy and I, I I know I don't look like David Cassidy but oh I'm, my god I'm men in their hair I know right it's men it's, in their hair only I could take it off and hang it on the shelf like you do every night um Shut <laughs> up. anyway Angela listen what fucking like what music were you listening to back then the whole point of this oh, podcast god. is like I'm oh. interested in the things that my friends are interested in and because people are always asking me like how I find the shit I've used to make music or whatever. And I just steal everything on my other friends have. So at, in, all, in the description for this, I usually list a list of all the shit that people have on. So, um, you know, when MTV first aired in 1981, we didn't have cable, but I would go over to my friend's house. And so when MTV aired in 1981, there were bands like Susie, Susie and the Banshees and Echo and the Bunnymen. And, you know, there were a few, you know, artists like Pat Benatar that, you know, were willing to kind of go in this, in this new genre, you know, Flock of Seagulls and all these crazy yeah. um, new wave bands. And I loved the new wave, right? Yeah, I don't even think I really knew what punk rock was back then. I remember hearing the Sex Pistols in 1984, and it yeah. just wasn't my thing, right? A whole band, and he's a Trump supporter. That piece, and he's a Trump supporter now too, right? Yeah, there was. Um, they were created by the record label. 
Yeah, they were they they were created by the record label. Whereas you know the p true punk rockers was like you know the Ramones and Iggy Pop and and the apartment you know, punk like that yeah was, that, that television hello just like all the dolls oh yeah he really were they were just so hot they couldn't play their fucking instruments for shit <laughs> I know and relate um. But dude, like, yeah. but also there was a student. There was a, a public access radio station in Des Moines called uh, KDPS, okay. and a couple of, of kids in my school had their own radio shows, and they would play stuff like you know Yaz. Oh, I love Yaz. Um, you know they would play. They would play a lot of uh, new wave stuff, Ooh. and they would play a lot of music. They would. Do you like Yaz? Yes. Yeah. Oh God, yes. Uh, Tom Mitchell gave me tickets to see Allison uh, Moyet play at uh, Irving Plaza, uh, like right when I got back to the city after Power Bottom broke up. And I have a photo of me on my bookshelf with me and Phoebe there. I'm bald because well, that's when I shaved my head and wore fake glasses for a year. Remember that? <laughs> yes. And I'm like bald, and I look like I had just eaten a beach ball because I was, you know, drinking beer and trying to eat my feelings and. Yeah, dude, it was a it was a look, but it was a great show. She's a fucking G, and I'm singing oh. her songs at my straight people friend's wedding in the next year. <laughs> I know. What? Very iconic. I'm very excited about. Yeah. It. Anyway, Jazz was one of my favorite groups, but yeah, it was like it was like that. Like that's how you, that's how you found, that's how you found music. Well, I was love through that. people and you know stuff like that, and I'm I just I don't know. I just always loved music, and I always loved singing, and I always loved like melody and like a hook, and you know, and music, you know, is is a lifesaver sometimes. You know, like um, it definitely got me through some tough times with my live-in tormentor, my bitch sister. <laughs> well, Who was my live-in tormentor? What kind of music did she fucking listen to? She and I actually liked uh, some of the same stuff That's because great. when she finally moved out of the house, she stole my missing persons record. That sucks. I love missing persons. Spring session M. Oh my God. What? Well, yeah. Fucker. That's a. She stole it. Um, now for your she liked, you know, we did like a lot of the same uh, music. She had the flash dance soundtrack. Oh, work. Yeah. Uh, Duran Duran Rio. Uh, which is one of my favorite albums of all time. Is that one with the Patrick Nagel album art? Yes, and produced by Niles Rogers. Yeah, who's still producing records. And he has his new, know. he has a signature series guitar by Fender that just came out. Yeah, he yeah. is the shit. He is the shit, I love him. And um, uh, there was some stuff that uh, she listened to that I didn't like. Which I'm, I can't remember. Yeah. Well, we don't need to worry about that now. But you know, I wanted to be a punk rocker and a new waver so bad. What was the hair uh, like back then, Ange? Asymmetrical. Uh, I did. I wanted to be a, a punk rock girl so bad. I just wore black, and my bitch sister would make fun of me and call me Punky Brewster. <laughs> well, she's a bitch, so fuck her. 
I know. Wow. And you know what's so crazy about all that? And there was this whole group of girls that, you know, some of them were kind of nice to me, but some of them, you know, were just annoyed by me because I was trying way too hard. And I was, you know, and I was young and I didn't know how to, you know, go about, <laughs> you know, figuring it all out. But it's just like, now, who's the most fucking punk rock bitch ever? Like, I'm friends with Danny Fields. Holy shit, really? Yeah. That's amazing. Wait, I know. The people who are listening at home who don't know who Danny Fields is, can you explain briefly? Yeah. So Danny Fields was a journalist. He was openly gay. Um, he was just the coolest guy in the room. And he kind of discovered... Uh, with Linda Stein, with his partner, Linda Stein, they managed the Ramones and Iggy Pop. Yes, they did. They they managed the Ramones. I don't think they, I don't think he managed Iggy Pop. He discovered Iggy Pop. He yeah. heard Iggy Pop and brought Iggy Pop and the Stooges to the attention of... Is that a real cuckoo clock sound? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle Supley fixed it. Oh, he did? He fixed it. I know, right? I love that. That was like, people aren't going to believe that that was real. I mean, we have it on video, but that was amazing. <laughs> That's going to be but, the clip. Yeah. And, uh, and he's, um, he's in, uh, uh, please kill me. You know, the book yeah, by, um, legs McNeil and, uh, Gillian. Oh, what's her last name? Oh, I feel bad. She's good friends with him. Rogers. Gillian. Fuck. I don't know who that is. So she wrote the book. Please oh, kill oh, me. Oh, okay, cool. Well, I know the book. I, yeah. Gillian. Um, God damn it! What's your last name? I might have to run to the bookshelf and look. Wow, my bookshelf is mostly just pics of me being stupid. Hey, everyone listening at home, how cool do I look right now? Right. Oh my god, I can't find it. All right. Ah. Uh. You'll find it eventually, and then I'll put it in the I'll put it in the description. I like your shrunken head back there, though. Oh my god! You know, over the years, it's gotten smaller. <laughs> Sorry. You no, know, over the years, you know, I've I've I used to have these epic Halloween parties before I had a nice apartment. Right. And you know, now that we have a nice apartment, we can't have these epic Halloween parties. But I would go to the you know, I used to love to scour the dollar stores and the dollar stores would have the weirdest Halloween decorations. And I found some of my best Halloween decorations at the dollar store. It's just kind of weird. And look at the, this, is, look at this one. Oh my God, it has hair. How horrible is that? It's like Norman Bates' mom. It looks like Andy Warhol. Right? We got this at a dollar store in Montreal. You know what it actually really looks like? It looks like, um, which I'll return to later, there's a section in this show where I ask you to name one thing that lives rent-free in your head at all times. And for me, it's the High Point Lauren, uh, Coffee Lauren Bacall commercial. <laughs> and her hair looks like that in it. I'm going to pick my pleasure. High point coffee. It's decaffeinated. I know. Did you listen to, did you, I never sent you the link, but did you ever see that uh, Canada Dry and Margaret commercial? No. Oh, you I'm a soft drink expert. Oh my God. That's another one. How do they drag these pilled out divas out to do these like fucking. Aunt Margaret was like in her prime. This was oh, like, really? like, yeah, this was like early 70s. Um, and they do a whole, it's like a whole song and dance number, you okay. know? Okay. 
Well, okay, when we get to that section, that's fuck. We gotta do. So listen, so you're in college, and um, when did you meet Kubi? Yeah, so I only went to the school, the Art Institute, for a year and a half because my financial aid ran out because my stepdad sold his mom's house. Wait, so, wait that's the longest, most complicated thing. <laughs> that sucks. Well, all my fan- financial aid went away because they had this huge income on their income tax, and oh, no one to see that coming. So I ended up taking a year off. Uh, which was actually a good thing because I was not taking anything seriously at all in art school and I was fucking around and having fun and and you know it really sucks when all your friends are in college and you're not right and but I didn't I stayed in Chicago like I was like I'm gonna stay in Chicago and work and you know just stay here right what were you doing um, oh my God, I did a million things. I was a waitress. I worked in this, um, I worked in this, uh, like leather factory as what? like a, a cutter. Oh my God. Yeah. I like cut linings for like this leather designer. Cool, and I then see. I decided that I wanted to study costume design. So I switched schools which was a huge mistake. (laughs) Well, luckily my credits transferred over. What school did you change to? I went to, it was called the Goodman School of Drama, but it was a part of DePaul University. Oh, the Goodman, like the Goodman Theater. Yeah. It was, it was, it used to be at the Goodman Theater, but it got it, it, it got absorbed into DePaul University. So technically I got my degree from DePaul. It's on the south side of Chicago, right? No, no. Oh, well, fuck me, bitch. <laughs> Lincoln Park, yeah. Oh, wait and, No, um, you know what's the south side of Chicago is where Kubi went, University of Chicago. Okay, oh, Kubi. Yeah, Kubi's smart. I gave a lecture at the University of Chicago once. You did? I fucking did. I fucking did. About what? Um, whatever the shit I made. And a bunch of people showed up and they were like, so Ben, what? I'm like, the guitar. It was bad. It was on tour. I didn't realize this one was, they were super nice though. And they liked it. I played a bunch of songs and I talked about music, but it was, I was in a lecture hall lecturing. Lived and I did it. So now when I'm bartending and, you know, sifting through the trash all day, I can think about my lecturing days at a very fancy college. It was very fancy. coffee. Um, <laughs> wait, wait a minute. So how did you meet Kubi, though? So my, um, when I, when I graduated from college, which was 1993, I moved to Wicker Park because that's where all the cool kids were. And right. it was so cheap to live there. Tell me about it. Like, how cheap? Oh, oh my God! A huge two-bedroom apartment for like three forty-five. Fuck you! Are you serious? I'm serious. I and mean, this was 1993. Right, I was two years old. Good year. Um, but anyway, uh, my best friend from Des Moines moved out to Chicago with me, and I was still really good friends with my college dorm mate Emily. We have the same birthday. Which and is she- what, by the way? Huh? Which is what, by the way? January 16th. Which makes you an Aquarius, right? No, Capricorn! I knew that. I just wanted to piss you off. Right? <laughs> yeah. You're a Libra. Yeah. You, you know what's funny, though, Angela, and I mean this, the only people I've interviewed in this fucking podcast so far have been Capricorns. 
Oh. <laughs> My friend Laganja from Drag Race. Machine Dazzle is Capricorn. Oh, yeah. Machine Dazzle is a late December Capricorn. Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, he dressed up like a giant anus and all of the footage and audio for the interview got corrupted when my computer crashed, so. Oh, you're going to have to do it again. Where is Machine? Is he in Hawaii? I, I helped him find an apartment. <gasps> oh, good. I know, no, I have, um, I have a guy. If you're uh, listening to this podcast and you live in Brooklyn and you need an apartment, I have a guy who's a nice Orthodox, or Russian Orthodox Jewish man who's helped a lot of the queers find an apartment for very cheap. Oh, Find our apartment, and he helped Machine get an apartment. So. Great. Yeah, totally. He deserved it too. And he dressed up like a giant anus for this interview, and so that well, now that's gone. Tragedy. So anyway, so you're living in this cheap fucking apartment. Oh, so great. And Emily was in this band called Strawberry. They were kind of a glam rock band, and one of her groupies was this nerd named Dave Cowlish, and he was. Uh, um, he had gone to University of Chicago and he was in love with Emily and he was her groupie and she had a boyfriend at the time and then her and the boyfriend broke up and then she started dating Dave and then she would bring around Dave's friends and Kubi was one of Dave's friends and um I had just gotten back from San Francisco to visit my friend Sherry, and I had fallen in love with a boy in San Francisco named Elrod. Oh, <laughs> Elrod! This is 1994. That wasn't his real name, of course. Good year for all of like Kubi's. Uh, <laughs> he took me on a tour of all the happy hours of San Francisco, including the Tonga Room, where it rains on the inside, and. Uh, <laughs> I came back from San Francisco. I was so in love with this kid. And Emily came over with Dave and Adam. And they're like, oh, me and Dave are gonna come over with, with Dave's friend, Adam. And Kubi's hair was like an Afro. It was like all long and kinky. And really? Hard. And he was wearing like a trench coat and he just kind of sat there. And for some reason I had made peanut butter cookies and I burned them all. and. I gave them some cookies and I was just like, well, I burned them all. And he goes, I'll take the burned ones. And I was like, here you go. Freak. <laughs> so that was in the fall of 1994. And then fast forward to the winter, like late January, early February of 1995, I was sitting in the Rainbow Lounge with the Cambodian oh. twins. And, um, my friends Sosie and Ellie Kavorkian, the Kavorkian sisters, who were twins. Word. And uh, some guy taps me on the shoulder and goes, goes, hey, hi. And I looked up and I didn't recognize him because he had cut all that crazy hair off. Oh my God. And it was Kubi and he saw me and he recognized me and he said hi to me. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, this guy is so cute. And he talks, you know, <laughs> because he really didn't say anything when he was sitting in my apartment. Uh, and then uh, the next night we went, um, there was this kind of basement venue called the Milk of Burgundy that we would go and see bands. Word. It was that's the funny. 90s. That's a good ass name though, but someone right. took it very seriously when they were naming that DIY. Right, right. A Burgundy. So the next night I, we, I went to Milk a Burgundy with some friends and I ran into Adam DiCarlo again. 
And then the third night, I went to go see Casey Spooner in his experimental theater show. And beforehand, I'd gotten drinks with Christina D'Angelo. She had taken oh, yay. a very belated birthday. And so we got really drunk, went to this experimental theater show. And then Emily came and picked us up. And we went to her boyfriend's apartment where her boyfriend was in a band with Kube. And they were finishing up rehearsal. They were in a band together. They're horrible. And <laughs> um, we were so drunk. We that. were like acting the fool and Kube was like still having it and really? I know and everybody went home and I wanted to get another drink and Kube went and got a drink with me and then that's how we started dating that's amazing story too long no I love it it's great right? Yeah, I'm telling you, it's interesting. You'd be surprised at like how willing you would be to listen to someone else's story like that, right? Yeah, and like I, there's so many other details that I left out, but well, anyway. I've known you for years, and I didn't know that. I, really? Well, you know, the funny thing is, is that you know that last. It was so crazy because we ran into each other three nights in a row. Amazing. And, right, and. Um, and he literally just saw me at like my most loudest, obnoxiousest, you know, which well, hasn't really hasn't really changed. I was gonna say, still keeping that squeak alive, there, babe. Um, wait a minute, what's Kubi sign again? <gasps> Virgo. Shit, Capricorn Virgo combo. That's a lot. That's a winning combo. That's a winning combo. You like, there's a lot of like organization of things involved in that uh, process. Yeah. So then hold on. Wait, when did you, so you, how long were you out? Also, how did you meet Casey Spooner? Uh, Casey was going to the School of the Art Institute, but he started going there after I had left. And we met through a friend, a common friend that we had, uh, Kelly Kuvo, mm -hmm. who was in a band called the Scissor Girls. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were punk rock. Yeah, and uh, Kelly was kind of like this conduit for a lot of people um, because Kelly is how Casey met Lizzie Yoder, who would, you know, go on to be in Fisher Spooner. And um, yeah, so I met I met um, I met those guys out one night. I think we were at I think there was this band that I loved called the Cocktails. They were from Kansas City. Oh, I love Kansas City. Right? They played like, you know, like they dressed in suits and they played, you know, like vintage 60s lounge music. They were, they were a really great band, the Cocktails. And we were kind of their groupies. I love it. And um, there were a bunch of great music venues in Wicker Park back then. There was the Czar Bar, uh, Phyllis's Musical Inn, the Empty Bottle. Oh, the Empty Bottle's still there. Oh, my God. It's still there. Yeah, Cabaret Metro, which I think is just called Metro now. That wasn't in Wicker Park, but that's where, you know. Metro before, I think. Yeah. Yeah, where I was supposed to, I don't remember. But. And Lounge Axe. Word. Uh, uh, Double Door. Double Door is still, I think Double Door is, is a thing. Maybe that's just the name of two doors together. A uh, lot of venues, and we were at one of those littler ones, either Zarbar or Phyllis's. And uh, Kelly Kubo saw me and was like, "Oh, you like the cocktails? Oh, you know." And just like, just saw me and was just like, "Oh, she seems 
you know, I was always working on a look back then. Friends. Is this like when you were blonde though? Oh yeah. Yeah. You were blonde a long time. Yeah, I was. Wow, I love that. But I was I, from like nineteen ninety one to like two thousand two. Whoa, that's yeah. Great. I always assume you're 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 so iconically a, a ginge. I know. Like always kind of just bend your energy. Very well, because I was I did have red hair as a little kid. Okay, there you go. See, it, yeah. it, it just suits you to the point of like being like you couldn't be anything else really. Well, you know what's you know what's so funny? At 32, I thought that the platinum blonde was making me look old. <laughs> well, I just turned 29 like a few days ago, and I'm. I'm I know. I'm Happy like, birthday! I'm like a husk at the moment. Um, uh, but you know, a, a glorious husk. So wait a minute. So then, so so when did you come to New York? And like, when did that okay. Start? So Casey and all those guys started moving here in '95, right. and they were like. Casey did, uh, Casey was a part of this, this experimental theater company called Dorica, mm -hmm. and they did a show here, and he was like, I'm not going back to Chicago. This is where I need to be. And so he was kind of the one that was like, come on, everybody, let's go. And me and Kobe were dating at the time, and we got there like around 97. It took us a little longer because Kobe was you know, working with this company and it was, it was kind of, you know, even back then it was like trying to figure out how he could still work right. for his own company. Cause he was a part owner of this company. And so it was like, that took a long time. So if I had my way, I would have been in New York in 95, but you know, I didn't want to go there without Kubi, oh, you know? And I was worried too, because, you know, it was like my idea and it was like, you know, what if he doesn't like it? And, and it was like, I was so ready to leave Chicago. It's still very Midwestern. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, I, there were a couple of friendships that, you know, went south, um, you know, just, you know, some sh really shitty things that happened to me involving, you know, former best friends and ex-boyfriends, I mean, you know, figure that one out. And uh, yeah, and I was just, and as a matter of fact, you know, when I met Adam, I was at a very low, low point in my life. It was, it was, you know, it was hard. And he was like, he wasn't like any guy I had ever met. He was just a nice guy and he wasn't, you know, afraid to be just like a nice guy. He was just a sweetie. And that's just the way he was, even though he was, a, you know, a computer nerd and indie rocker. Yeah. Hello. I love that. Did, were you performing at this period of your life? No. Really? No. Wait, tell me about that though. So wait, so you moved to New York and then you're, you, you get there. And you start doing, when do you start doing Fisher Spooner's makeup? Oh, like right from the start. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So like 99, 2000, <coughs> they did this huge show at Gavin Brown's Enterprise. It was like a seven night thing. And I think that was 1999. Okay. And they had a bunch of different makeup artists and I did two nights and then I ended up doing the first Emerge video that nobody ever sees. <laughs> See, and, that's and what people don't know. Emerge video. Any good band has a good disaster, like five or eight 
version yeah. of the video or a song yeah. that no one ever sees. Yeah, that's about right. I know. I did the, I did the, um, I did a version of uh, losing my edge that they redid. Yeah. I yeah. did makeup on uh, Losing My Edge, the video they did, and then they ended up redoing it where somebody's constantly slapping his face, which is what I wanted to do when I was doing James Murphy's makeup. Ah. It was a pain in the ass. He was so self-conscious. Like, I'd go up on set and give him a little powder, and he'd be like, oh, God, I look like a mess. And I'm like, shut up. By the way, for those of you who don't know, that's the guy from LCD Sound System. <laughs> He's very neurotic. He sits outside. You know, his apartment is right on North 7th in Bedford in, uh, in Williamsburg. And he owns, oh, yeah. a, he owns a wine bar right there. And he's always just standing there smoking or he goes to Main Drag and plays with, like, the keyboards. Wow. When I lived in North Williamsburg when I was crashing on a couch, I'd see him a lot and I'd be like, wow, you better work. Well, that's why he's a keyboard queen. You know, it's a it takes a certain kind of mentality. You know, that's so funny. He um, he got like married and divorced a couple of times, right? Sounds fun. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything about his personal life at all. I just know that he writes some great fucking songs. I mean, yeah, I would- he did. I mean- he wrote I, some great songs. You know what? Losing, losing My Edge is not one of them. No, it's actually not. I mean- I don't like it. Laugh Track is sort of my interpretation of all my friends, as much of a bunch of other things too, but I was like, I'll write a long ass song with two chords too. Absolutely. <laughs> um, wait a minute, but how did you start performing though? I'm very- Oh, so how did I start performing? Well, you know, when Fisher Spooner was, when Fisher Spooner did do that infamous first show at the Starbucks, I think I performed what? too. What do, you mean, what do you mean for the, what do you mean Starbucks? That was the Fisher Spooner's first show. It was at the Starbucks in Astor Place. They used to have- That Starbucks? Haunted Starbucks? Yeah. They used yeah. to have performances there. Like in that back area? No, in the front. What? Yeah. Wait, wait, tell me that story. I'm very curious. <laughs> I don't know how or why or what, but this is like, you know, 1999. And that Starbucks at Astor Place, they would have people perform there. And Fisher Spooner performed there. I performed there. I wrote this song about Jacqueline Suzanne because at the Jacqueline, time I was obsessed Jacqueline with Suzanne. Jacqueline Suzanne. I don't know who that is. <laughs> I don't know who that is. He wrote Valley of the Dolls. Oh, okay. Sure, sure, sure. And The Love Machine and Once Is Not Enough and Dolores. Wow. And Every Night Josephine. And... Wow. Um, <laughs> and uh, I wrote. So, like a drag queen with two first names as a name. Jacqueline Suzanne. She was from Philadelphia. Oh my God. And um, <laughs> I performed. And when Casey started dating Adam Dugas, mm -hmm. I, you know, I was always singing little stupid songs and like entertaining people and making people laugh and stuff like that. And always, right. always singing, singing stuff. You know, it was kind of like when I went to college, I kind of chose art over music because those were like the two things that I loved the most. And, you know, the music never leaves you, right? Like you're always... You can't stop it. You know, yeah. And... um I would sing all these stupid little songs when we would when we would go on tour with Fisher Spooner. I always wrote a song about the restaurant in the hotel we were staying at. And the first time we went to London, we were staying in the London Bridge Hotel, and the name of the restaurant was simply Nico. 
Oh, shit. Simply Nico. Simply Nico restaurant and bar. You better get your sinus down to Nico. You're gonna wonder why you keep coming back. You better get your ass down to Nico. Cause it ain't any good unless you're on crack. <laughs> Simply Nico. Simply Nico restaurant and bar. Oh. Simply Nico. So anyway, you know, I've been, still doing there. Their, <laughs> been doing their makeup and then have everybody singing. Wow. And Casey, you know, it took three hours to get them ready because there were four dancers, two two singers, two female singers, Casey. It was like seven people to get ready. So it took three hours. And, you know, we would like entertain each other and we would hang out and we would sing stupid songs and stuff like that. And Casey always used to say, Getting ready was the funnest part. I think it is too, honestly. Right? Well, actually, I totally disagree with that. <laughs> I'm such a nervous. Well, you know, when you're Casey Spooner and you're just, you know, lip syncing to a bunch of people. That's probably it. For me, before I perform, I'm like hysterically like crying and I'm like nervous and I'm like, really? oh my God, I'm a mess. I'm not having fun. No, 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 no. I'm sitting there you like drink before you go on. I'll have like a drink. Like I, I don't like get a shot. I'll have like a cocktail. Like I won't get drunk before it. I'll have something. Yeah, no. Space, but no, yeah. never. But I'm like, I'm like, like every single time. And if I'm not, it's gonna be a bad show. Or at oh, least, no, no, you what. shouldn't think like that. Yeah, no, I shouldn't. I used to be like that too. I used to have a lot of nerves. And the thing about nerves is, the thing about stage fright is, is that you kind of can't control it. Yeah, well, something Liv used to say is that like the feeling of being nervous and the feeling of being excited is very similar uh, emotions. So whatever. I mean, again, no stress for Ben anymore about performing. I'm just gonna do things and make things and have a nice time. Right. Uh, not so like we can perform live anywhere. Yeah, not like I've done that in years, um, except for in my apartment. Um, but uh, so then, wait. So, but when did you like do your first show? Oh, so, okay, so anyway, so Adam Dugas was the one that was like, you know, you write all these little songs, but, and you call them stupid, but they're not stupid, they're real songs, and you should write songs, and Adam Dugas used to do this Christmas show every year called Chaos and Candy, and That's it was a funny. bunch of us, all of the, you know, performers from Fisher Spooner, it was like a real family, you know, New York type show, and um, he did it from like 2000 up to like 2009. And the first one I remember, Warren Fisher had a company called Optic Nerve. And the first time I ever really performed was me and Adam Dugas did the Optic Nerve Christmas party. We were oh, the entertainment. Shit. And I sang, uh, there's always tomorrow from, you know, Rudolph and yes. you know, Island of Misfit Toys and stuff like that. Like all those, those Rankin and Bass specials were my favorite and so i would be in chaos and candy every year and one year he did a easter show at the box <gasps> the, box. Right the box opened right when the box opened everybody was so excited because they thought it was going to be a different kind of venue you know they didn't know it was going to be like a russian oligarch coke den <laughs> you know like we thought the box was going to be like a venue for like us to perform at and adam knew you know some of the guys that opened it so right when it first opened he secured 
a we did a couple of chaos and candies there too that's crazy and um and it's a cute little stage it's a great you know great spot no, it is and uh he said um i said well i want to do more than one song and he said if you want to do more than one song you have to write it so oh. he like forced me to write <clears throat> songs and oh. Uh, and then I was doing a show with Yana Chipenko and Lizzie Yoder that Jeffrey Deitch produced called oh, Lady, Jesus Lady, Lady. Yeah, we did that at the Zipper Theater, which is long gone. Mm -hmm. And then that broke up. And then Adam Dubas was like, you just need to do your own show. Like you should do your own show. Amazing. And that's kind of well, how Well, what was the first one you did though? Um, it was at Abrams Art Center, and it was, they had it, no, not in the huge theater. So uh, Abrams Art Center has actually three stages. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they have a space downstairs that's underneath those stairs that I call Chewbacca's recital hall because it looks like the inside of the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> and ah! the big theater, and then they have the little black box. And so uh, my first show was at Chewbacca's Recital Hall. I had a full band. It wasn't really a acoustic, acoustically, acoustically, it wasn't really a great spot for like a, like I had a full band and everything. It was great. Amazing. And then I did, and it, it was went pretty good. And it was all my own original songs. And then I would do the VSMs. I would do the ADD songs as an encore, all the little leftover bitchy songs. I did that as an, like an encore or something like that. And, uh, and and uh, and then the next year, I did Joe's Pub, and then I recorded an EP. You have an EP? Yeah. Where is it? You, it's on iTunes. What? I didn't yeah. know that. Oh God, no! I'm gonna buy it right now. No, don't you dare buy it. Wow, wow. You can probably find it free somewhere on I the internet. I recorded in 2018 that no one will ever hear unless I decide to put it out. Really? Yeah, it's called Shit Versus Fan. It's like really good, but it's like also really badly recorded. And I recorded it with this guy who was like a total, um, he was like, you don't know anything. And I was like, still so like, oh yeah, I guess I don't like period of time. So he, I basically, he just, he totally like, like he said, there's no place for saxophone and rock and roll, and I just put out a fucking. Oh, he's so full of shit. What about fucking X-ray specs? Whoa, like I just put out a whole fucking saxophone rock. What about the motels? What about anything like? What about Bruce Springsteen? thing? Miss Miss Springsteen with her and her fantastic thing. So wait, but I'm so curious. Like you, you what? Were you also always doing hair and makeup at this time? Like when? Oh yeah. When did the stop? Well, I, I, I stopped working with them around 2007 because, because things were changing and they didn't, and you know, the cast was changing a little bit and there was some stuff going on. There was an incident that, you know, I just kind of soured me where they didn't have any money and they hired my assistant to do my makeup that I designed and oh, I was really mad. And I was like, I'm not gonna work with yeah. you guys anymore because like, I said to Casey, I was like, I just, this, I'm done. Like, we're not gonna have a friendship if this keeps going. Good for you, I So, you know, I stepped away. It was just, it was kind of like, 
And how many years? That really sucked. That really sucked. You know, you'd create and you design this makeup and they go behind your back and they hire your assistant to replicate your work. And you know, the fucking assistant did it and fuck her. <laughs> I would be so pissed if someone did that with anyone. I was pissed. I was pissed. It's well, just- It's like even beyond being angry. It's just like, really? Like, you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Damn. Well, then, so, yeah. yeah. Now we're at the year what? Now we're like at like 2008 or something like that? 2008, 2009. Um, fast forward to 2010. The guy, the Zipper Theater had closed. And the one of the guys that ran the Zipper Theater had gone over to Bowery Poetry Club oh. on Bowery. Stefan, the sax player, uh, worked there for a long time in my band. Right. Ugh, I hate it that it's not there anymore. It's that horrible Dwayne Park. And um, he was like, I'm trying to do some new, put in some new programming over at Bowery Poetry Club. And, and Mad Men had just come out. And he was like, oh, you know, you look so much like that redheaded redhead from Mad Men. Why don't you know do a couple songs by the piano? And, da, da, da. and I ended up writing a musical parody of Mad Men in 2010. So by that time, Adam Dugas had stopped doing Chaos and Candy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did, so 2010 to 2015, I did um, The Mad World of Miss Hathaway, which was an original musical parody of Mad Men. And you asked me to be in it at one point. I did it a couple of times. Yeah. So I so regret that I didn't get to do it. I, I know. Well, you know what? There's I, I really miss the you know ensemble shows that I used to do because after that end, I mean that obviously ended when the show ended, right. and then that's when ADD Cabaret came because oh because when we did Mad World of Miss Hathaway for the encore, we would do the ADDs. So it's always that been, our encore. You've always had it like these tiny songs you write like in the back. Yes. Like 2009, I had an infamous creative block that summer and I couldn't write any songs. I couldn't write any real songs. I was just writing little stupid songs about like panty liners and slices of cheese. Mm. And so one night we went over to Mike Jackson's house and had some gin and listened to Manilow live. Oh. He does this melody, he does this medley where he's just like, we're gonna do this medley. And you know, all my classy friends say, oh, Barry, how can you lower yourself to do that medley? Oh, it's horrible. And then all my trashy friends are like, oh, Barry, I love that medley that you do. And he would do a medley of all the commercials that he wrote before he was famous. That's amazing. Love it. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm just going to take all these stupid little songs and I'm going to jimmy jack them together and just do like a rapid fire medley of all these stupid songs. Like, you know, oh, little slice of cheese, you're going to be so good to me. Fucking $75 candle, panty liner, sundial bitch, you're a fucking whore. You know, like all these stupid songs. And it just, people were just like, what? But it was like funny and it made them laugh. Well, I mean, I am obviously like the biggest super fan of the show. I go every single time you do it. Uh, I know, you're so sweet. No, well, I also like it. I mean, I am sweet, but I also <laughs> like it. Like, uh, But my question is, so that kind of brings us up to kind of the present moment now. So you've yeah. been doing that show for five years. And yeah. that's fucking amazing. But 
And obviously, well, my only gripe with you is that you haven't recorded a record of it yet. Oh, a lot of people say that. You know, I had such a bad experience recording my EP. Like one of my guitar players suggested the guy who recorded it and I didn't like him and it wasn't a good fit. And I think he really only did it because like he was like living in Union City in New Jersey and he needed the money. And I just, I got so turned off from that. But, you know, and that was like 2000. Eight or no, that was like 2009. You know, I think that there's a way that I could record this stuff. Like, I've recorded stuff over at Special K's apartment. I bet that's honestly, if you recorded like all of the good ones like that, honestly, piano and vocals, what like what it doesn't have to be that fucking crazy. Well, I think it'd be fun to have a little bit more instrumentation, right? Yeah, there's so many different people that you could get. I'm actually going to probably interview that silly man Ray uh, soon, potentially. Rizzo. Oh, <laughs> you should. Yeah, I know he's one of the I know. Um, dude, but you know that, like, it's such, I know, right? This is, like, the funniest thing. I'm just interviewing You should all- interview Carmine, too. Carmine and Adrian. Oh, yeah, I should interview Carmine and Adrian. That's a good idea. Um, Carmine, who plays drums in the Julie Ruin, people who are listening, because I have played with them before. Uh, I look so pale in this lighting now. Ew. But... Yeah. I mean, I, I'll put links, obviously, to all your performances and to your YouTube channel and stuff, like, so people can watch the shows. Okay. I personal favorites, some of which I won't say on the air. <laughs> I mean, Dead Baby Graveyard kills it every time. Well, we're going to be doing that in the live stream show on October 27th. Right, I'll put a link to that in the description. Um, but, and like, the last part of the show, I'm curious, is, like, what do you want to do now? Like, what's the thing you want to do? I know that you've been trying to write You've been writing something on and off for a long time, right? Oh, the day after the 2016 election, I started my Angry Feminist musical. Yeah. And I was I was putting the finishing touches of it. I was putting the finishing touches on it uh, in the winter, and I was really getting somewhere with it, and I was going to have a, a reading for it before this whole COVID thing struck because it was actually the kind of first thing that I had did that was like kind of semi-serious and like political and trying to make a statement but it was still it was an ensemble piece it was about you know a group of people on a New York City bus that rode the bus every day and their experiences with each other and with feminism and um, it was kind of my uh, answered prayers you know the the you know the Proustian novel that Truman Capote never finished so I always thought of that as my, you know, the thing that I was, you know, struggling with. And I, it was so crazy because I had finally come to a point where I was going to put it out in the world and then COVID happened. Are you still feeling good about it now that COVID's happened? Or? Well, I was thinking, how is this going to be relevant if Dump Truck, you know, doesn't get reelected, which I really don't think he is. I don't think he is either. Fingers crossed. Um, but I think it still is relevant. And I totally think I'm still going to put it out there because it's a very, it's just, it's, it's a crazy musical about people's relationship with feminism and just how they felt when this shit went down. Totally. Because I was not prepared for that outcome whatsoever. And it really messed me up. You know, I was so ready for our first female president. 
And I guess, I don't know if I was just, you know, blindsided to like how much people hated Hillary Clinton. Actually, I'm, I wasn't, I knew there were a lot of people I knew that hated her. Yeah. And, um, it just I, was something that I wasn't prepared for. And, it, and, and the way to help me feel better was to write this show. I mean, it was almost like cathartic for me. Like my mom gets so upset. My mom, like seriously, does loves like almost everything I do, but she gets livid at me about the bitch sister song. And I try and explain to my mom that, look, you know, she's never gonna like me. And, you know, in a way, me singing about it makes me feel better. Yeah. You know? It's like cathartic for me because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's almost hilarious. And also, so the, the reason, the, the, also the reason is, is that when I first started doing, you know, happy birthday, bitch sister, Merry Christmas, bitch sister, people would come up to me all the time and they would be like, oh my God, I have a bitch sister. And it, it spoke to people. Totally. It spoke to people and it made people feel better about their shitty relationship with their bitch sister or their bitch aunt or their bitch child or bitch cousin. And so it's so popular. People relate to it and, and, and it makes people laugh, which yeah. makes, so I take something like, you know, having somebody hate you is not a great thing. And when you take it and you turn it up on its ass and you know, it's an interesting way to, well, it'll make, my it, mom is so, my mom like doesn't. She can't fuck with it at all. Nope. Well, I mean, I That's guess. That's daughter. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing I always use about music is like, it just, it's supposed to make people feel less alone, like whatever it is. Uh -huh. They feel like a sort of, like a, a similar anger to you or yeah. whatever, like anything kind of like that. I mean, and so I'm excited to see you do this crazy feminist bus musical. I'm excited to see you perform again. Oh, I, see anybody see again. I know, me too. I'm excited to see you perform again. Yeah, hopefully I'll be able to do that at some point. Um, I know, I love the new record. And you know, I'm going to link all your shit in the description. I'm actually going to post this today because I was- Wow, okay. I was supposed to post this, but I don't want to post it next week because then it'll be right before your show. Like I oh, right, right. I'll post it today. Um, but the last section of the show, it's called What Lives Rent-Free in Your Head. And obviously, what? what lives rent-free in your head. What does that mean? It's like, what is something that is like, at any point, could just be freely moving through your brain space. For example, I know that you, uh, like me, really feel a lot about this woman and this photograph. <laughs> I think about this fucking photo every day of my life. Do you know what I'm talking about? Look at her. Look at her. Look at this fucking shit-eating grin on her face. And what is this hat? This was at the royal wedding, right? <sighs> I'll never forget. Like, just seeing her being like, I don't know who this fucking person is. But <laughs> it's Prince Andrew's daughter. I think that's Margaret. Princess Eugenie or one yeah. of them. She's got a name like, you know, like the gene pool's not too big. But man, just look at that face. Yeah, so that's what lives in my head rent-free. Is there anything like that that you have going on in your life that is similar? Um, there's this French documentary about Nina Simone called La Legend, and you can watch it on YouTube. Oh, wow. Cool. And um, 
it's in French, but you know, they interview her brother, they interview her mother, that she participates in it. It was done in the early 90s. Wow. And they I'll never forget it. They played an answering machine message that Nina Simone left on a concert promoter's machine. And it goes like this. Stuart, this is Nina Simone. You better have that money at the Bingham Hotel by noon on Saturday. I ain't doing your goddamn show because you're rich, you son of a bitch. That, my friends, is exactly the kind of energy I'm all about. All right, Angela, listen, I'm going to let you go. I am dying of heat stroke in this fucking shirt, and I understand that why I don't wear it very often. <laughs> Oh, are you turning it into a strip show? I'm doing it, but I'm below the camera line, so they can't really see. Um, Angela, I love you. Uh, oh, I love you, Ben. So send me the link to the thing, and I'll put it in the thing, and we'll put it on the thing. But go watch Angela's virtual show. It'll brighten up your day. You would get costume read for it. Is there a wig involved? Yeah, they're at Perfidia's. Oh, good. All right. All right, Angela, love you. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. And meeting for all. All right, I know I said I wasn't going to come back on the video, but here I am back in the video. Um, Ange DiCarlo, how fucking amazing is she? She's so funny and great. Well, I'll post some links to all this weird shit we talked about. Also, the ticket links for her show on October 27th are going to be in the thing. So fucking check that shit out. It's going to be really, really funny and amazing. I go to all of her shows. She's the best. Um, thanks so much for tuning in. I'll see you guys next Tuesday when I'm less of a crazy bitch. Um, but I still have to write a song today because I decided I'm going to write 100 songs in 100 days because I'm fucking crazy. All right, have you guys, have, have you guys a nice day. See you next Tuesday.